This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 4. Take your Bible and turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, but our plan is, Lord willing, on the 28th of this month, so not next Sunday, but the next, I'll begin a series through the book of Hebrews, which is our normal routine here. We normally are just walking through books of the Bible, and I'll begin that new series uh, then. I'm looking forward to that. Next week, I don't really know what to say about next week, except to say uh, it's unlike anything I've ever done in all of my years of pastoral ministry. Uh, I'm like 99% sure it's a great idea, and... Uh, there, there are, there are things that are going to happen next week that you won't be able really to get in on even online. You just need to be here. It's going to be an unusual and exciting day. I really feel like God has given us, uh, just something that we need to be doing at this moment as a way to, uh, equip the body of Christ, you to just go on mission. There's just some exciting stuff. So you don't want to miss that. And then uh, today, I really just want to share with you from my heart, if you're a member, this is really going to resonate, I believe. If you're a visitor, I can't imagine a better day for you to be here and hear this. One of the things I just feel like the Lord is continuing to say to me over and over in this little season of my life is just calling me um, to linger a little bit more. Uh, I know that you may not know me that well, but that's not always easy for me. My brothers used to say that my favorite moment is the next moment. I always love what's next. I don't really care about what's now. Like right now, I'm planning for what's next all the time. Like I'm just always thinking about the next moment. And some of you are smiling and nudging the person next to you. You know those kind of people. Uh, but this has always been kind of an issue for me, just kind of ready to get this one done so I can go to the next one, even if that's great. And the problem with that is our God is a God of moments. He's a God of moments. He's a God of this moment. And so if right now, in this moment, you're thinking about the next moment, you could very well miss what God wants to do in this moment. God orchestrates our life through these kind of divine moments. And Psalm 37, 23 says, our steps are ordained by the Lord. Think about that. Our steps are ordained by the Lord. Every step ordained by God, meaning our life is not one of human coincidence but of divine providence. There is a sovereign God overseeing your life, a good God, a loving God who has purpose in every moment of your life. And that means that our life is filled with moments that are ordained by God. And in every one of those moments, he's speaking and he's doing things and he's leading us in a certain direction for our good and for his glory. Not all of our moments are memorable. Uh, some of them are forgettable. Not all of them are big and significant. But in every one of those moments, you must know that God is, is moving and God is working and God is speaking. And he has a specific thing he wants to do in your life. He just doesn't just put us on a track with a bunch of other people. There is a God who is thinking about your life very specifically who knows you perfectly, who loves you unconditionally, who is drawing you to himself in every moment of your life planned out for you by a good God. Because that's true, 
God wants us to stop, particularly in our more significant moments, our really good ones, our really bad ones, our really joyful ones, our really sad ones, and to recognize that God is in that moment. And God has something to say in every one of those moments. And if you will learn, as I'm praying that God would help me to learn, to stop in those moments, you will hear what it is that God is saying, and we'll never fully understand I don't like when people say that. I don't like when somebody says that someday you'll understand why God did that. Well, probably not fully. But I believe in every one of those moments, God will invest a little something in your heart. And if you're thoughtful about it, God will take some of your moments and he'll make them into monuments. Moments in which you can point back to and, and remember what God taught you. You can remember God's faithfulness. You can remember God's goodness God wants to create these different moments in your life that all have great purpose, and he wants to use them. So we don't want to rush past them. We want to acknowledge them. I have a little prayer that I've written over the years, and it's kind of become more clear uh, to me as the years have gone by, and it's just a prayer of what I want God to do in my life, and I pray it almost every day, and one of the things I say in that prayer is, God, I want to hear what you're saying and I want to see what you're doing. I don't want to miss a thing. Just comes out of this awareness that God's just at work all around us. And I don't want to miss it. Like, I don't want to be so busy. I miss it. If God wants me to stop, I want to stop. But I feel like every time I pray that prayer recently, God's saying, well, if that's true, then just stop and shut up for a minute. I was afraid you were going to amen that part. I'm glad you didn't. I would have just been done. Right? No, I really like... Josh, you want, to, you don't want to know what I'm doing. You want to hear what I'm saying. Well, just why don't you just stop for a minute and, and listen to what it is that I'm doing because in our best and worst and most joyful and saddest moments and all of those, God says, I've got something for you. And I want you to get it. This is one of those moments for our church. It might seem like a bit of an insignificant moment, but I don't think it is. And I think in this moment, God not only wants to show us what he has for us in this moment, but he wants to teach us how to listen in moments. Uh, today at three o'clock, from about three to five, we're gonna have a, a little grand opening of this building back here you've been seeing built, the tabernacle. And it's significant for us because it's more than just a building. I really believe that God wants to say something through that building bigger than the building itself. It's not just a building, it's, it's a monument. It's, it's a picture of God's faithfulness. It's a picture of his goodness. It's really pointing us forward to what he wants to do. It's pointing us to the mission that God has given us. So this morning, I wanna take some time and show us how God takes moments in our lives and turns them into monuments very personally, and then talk about how that applies to what God's doing in us right now. And I don't know of a better place to look at that than in the book of Joshua. Now, before we get to Joshua 4, let me remind you of the context. It's an incredible moment. Joshua 3 is, is one of those chapters where there's all these details that seem insignificant, but more you understand them, the more you realize there's purpose in every one of them. So God is using Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. Moses led them out of slavery, led them out of Egypt. And Moses was going to lead them into the promised land, but they were rebellious and they, were, uh, they whined and grumbled all of the time and they weren't faithful. And because of that, they didn't enter the promised land. And, and all of this, listen, if you want a, a good picture of what it means to walk with Jesus in this pilgrimage that God has put us on as disciples and followers of Jesus, well, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's, that's it for us. It's a picture, a paradigm of what it looks like to journey and to follow Jesus. And there's a bunch of people that started well, but they didn't receive the promises because they just failed to have faith. And so that generation, God said, is not, is not gonna make it, but Joshua's generation is gonna inherit the promises. And so they know this and they're excited. God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And then God takes them to the edge of the Jordan River on the other side of the Jordan was the land that they were to possess. And it tells us in Joshua 3 that God makes them camp there. They set up their tents. You say, well, why would he give us that detail? And, and why is it that God, who has told them they're going to get the promised land, why was it he take them to the edge and make them put their tents up? And the reason is this. God wanted them just to look at the Jordan for a while. It tells us that it was in the time of harvest, another Seemingly meaningless detail. But it was at the harvest time in which the snow had begun to melt from the mountains and begin to rush down the mountain into the Jordan. There was no time of the year in which the water was faster, stronger, or deeper than at harvest time. It was raging at harvest time. If you go to Israel and see the Jordan River, you might be a bit unimpressed. It's not as big as you think it would. In harvest times, it was an overwhelming thought to cross it. And so God just takes them and says, why don't you just sit here in your tent for three days and watch the raging Jordan River? Because God's not just about getting us there. He's about the process. He's about the journey. Sometimes God does this in our lives. Uh, God says, I'm going to get you there, but on the way, I'm going to make you camp and just look at an overwhelming situation to remind you that you can't do what I've asked you to do. That you don't have what it takes with all of your strength to make it so we're going to sit here for a while and just let it rest how inadequate you are to do what I've called you to do. And so they sit for three days and they listen to the raging water. They watch the raging water and just think, oh God, how are we going to do this? And then we come to Joshua at the end of chapter three when God in this moment calls the priest to take the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolizing the presence of God. And he says, I want you to start walking and I want you to put your feet in the water before anything else happens as a sign of faith. So they put their feet in their water and their shoes get wet. And right then at that moment, the waters separate, listen, 19 miles wide. From here to Sanford Stadium is about 14 miles. So that puts it in perspective. 19 miles wide, the Jordan River crosses its parts. It's completely dry and about a million people walk across it on dry ground. So God knew he was going to do something big. He just wanted them to realize that it wasn't them that was doing it. He was doing it. And then we get to Joshua 4. If you're there in Joshua 4, say amen. It says when all the nations had finished passing over the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. And Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. 
the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Verse eight. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. And they took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Stop right there. God had created this moment as he does for us. And you know, one of the advantages we have of being able to read scripture, I think about this a lot when I read the lives of believers. I think about this a lot when I read about Ruth and we just go so quickly through the lives of people in scripture and fail to realize that what we read in a minute was a year. Or what we read in 30 seconds was three days of sitting in a tent and listening to the raging river that you had to cross the reality is this was a moment, a significant moment. And some of you right now think that you're never going to get to the moment. You're never going to get through this moment. And God is saying, no, you're going to get through it, but you got to camp out for a little bit because I've got something bigger I want to do. And he said, listen, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember what it was like when I delivered you. And so these stones existed to be a way for them to be reminded of what God had done. But the purpose of these stones is really clarified at the end of Joshua 4. Look there at verse 19. It says, The people came up from out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Those twelve stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Now here it is. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In that passage right there, Joshua makes it very clear that there are three reasons that God wants to take our moments and turn them into monuments. Three reasons that there are no insignificant moments in your life, and particularly those moments which feel a little bit more significant, are a call for you to just linger a bit. And not to rush to get over to the other side of the Jordan, but just to sit there for a minute and let the Lord speak. And there's three reasons God wants to do that in your life. Three reasons he wants to take moments and turn them into monuments. Write these down. The first one is, he has a memorial purpose. A memorial purpose. He actually uses that word in verse 7. These stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. A memorial forever. Now, in the same way we have a presidential memorial to point us back in hopes that the next generation doesn't forget, a war memorial so the next generation will walk through it even though they did not experience it, and we'll maybe sit there for a while or stand there for a while and let the heaviness of that moment settle in and the recognition of the sacrifice we need memorials as a nation. These things matter. And the church needs memorials and your family needs memorials and you as a single or a student, you need these type of memorials. 
so that you'll remember what it is that God did. Look what it says in verse 21 again. It said, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Why is there, why is there a pile of rocks here? Well, then you can tell them that Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground, that the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did in the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. God did it again. He did it at the Red Sea, and he, he did it again. Your children are going to ask, and they need to know. So God said, one of the main reasons I want you to stop for a minute and put up a monument is because there are people coming after you that need to be reminded of what God did in your life. Listen, let me say something to you right now. Your situation and your moment is about more than just you. Now, in the moment, it's all about you. And in the moment, it's just about what can I do and how can I get through this and God, why me, why me? And what God is saying is you're thinking so small. I'm thinking so big. I don't wanna just get you out of the moment. I wanna give you a monument. I wanna give you a story. I wanna give you a memorial so your children and their children and those you teach in small group as singles and you college students, he's saying what I wanna do is I wanna give you a moment that's a testimony to those who come after you that our God is good. And you can trust him and you can believe him and you can persevere and walk through this. This is more than just about you. God is creating a memorial through your moment. It's a testimony of God's faithfulness and God wants to remind you that he has something so much bigger and so much more significant. Listen, some of you are dealing with some heavy stuff. You're in a heavy moment. Maybe you're in a joyful moment and you're wondering what God is doing. Listen, I don't know exactly what God is doing, but I know if you'll linger for a while, he'll give you something. And what he gives you is exactly what the next generation needs to hear from you. They need to be reminded of what it is that God has done. Because you know what? They're going to find themselves in the same moment. It has a memorial purpose. In other words, it is something for the future. But not only does it have a memorial purpose, these monuments in our life also have, write this down, a missionary purpose. They have a missionary purpose. Look at verse 24. He says, I want these stones to be a reminder so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So the Lord always thinking about the next generation. This is why we plead with you to invest in the next generation on Sunday morning, on Wednesday nights. Listen, volunteer for the next generation. Get involved in the mix. You heard a great sermon on that last week. Invest in the next generation because God's thinking that. And God always has on his mind as well the lost. Those who are yet to know the Lord. And could it be that what God is doing in your life right now is giving you a testimony that an unbeliever needs to hear. I had someone sit in my office this week. His husband had passed away a few years ago and we have been challenging those in our community groups to identify three people that are in their life that don't know Jesus. Just natural relationships you have. And because of that challenge in our community groups, this man realized that his next door neighbor had just lost his wife. And he began to wonder if maybe God could use his experience of his losing his wife in the life of the man next door who had lost his wife. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe there's something there. I don't know. And so he did. 
And he went and knocked on the door and thought, well, this man's not going to want to talk. You know what? He wanted to talk a lot. Like a lot. He didn't have anybody to talk it through. And could it be that the loss of that wife was a part of the testimony so he can share it with someone else who's going through the same thing? Listen, this is not just about you. God is doing things in your life to give you a story, a monument. So lost people are going to look at it and see it. And they're going to be able to hear from you that our God is good and gracious and kind. And if you will trust him and give your life to him, he will not only lead you through this life, he'll lead you through the next. These monuments always have a missionary purpose. It has always been on God's heart from the Garden of Eden in which he had one river flowing in and four rivers flowing out. It has always been God's desire that his name and his presence go to the ends of the earth that all people might need to know him. It's for the future and it's for the lost. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you have never come to a moment in which you've chosen to trust and follow Jesus alone, not that you know the facts, but Jesus is the center of your life, if that is not the case, even right now you need to know that on the heart of God is your soul. And he's longing for you and he's calling you this morning. He's inviting you to come give your life to him. He's inviting you to surrender everything to him and say, Lord, I want to get in on what you're doing in this world right now if you'll call upon the name of the Lord. Because God has you on his mind. He's thinking about the future. He's thinking about the lost. But the third purpose is this. It has a memorial purpose. It has a missional purpose. But listen, it also has a motivational purpose. Write that down, a motivational purpose. Meaning, it is also about us right now. <laughs> I love verse 24 at the very end. It says, that you, that you in this generation right now may fear the Lord your God forever. When you see that idea of fear the Lord in the Old Testament, it's really the Old Testament way of saying, trust and follow Jesus. That's it. So if you want to understand fear the Lord, it means this. It means see God for who he is. And in response to that, give yourself fully to him, trust him and follow him. And so Joshua is saying, we put up this, this little monument here so that the future would know, so that the lost would know, but so that you would be reminded as you move forward from this place, what God is able to do. Listen, because when they got over the Jordan, that wasn't it. They had walls to take down and nations to conquer. That was just the start. I think they thought they got over to the other side of the Jordan and, oh, we're here. To which God says, no, we're just, we're just getting started. Like you, you got to go to Jericho and you got to take those walls down. And could it be, listen, could it be that God made him camp on the other side of the Jordan because he knew that they were soon going to be camped outside the walls of Jericho? And they needed the confidence from the other side of the Jordan in order to take down the walls of Jericho. And when they thought those walls would never come down, they could look at that monument and say, listen, if God, if God parted the Jordan, why can't he take down the walls? Church, God's in it, every bit of it, every bit of your life, God is right in the middle of it. You wonder, why am I camping at the Jordan? Because there's walls to be taken down a little bit later. And you need what God's given you now in order to do. And if he said, here's what I want to do later, you couldn't even handle it. So he says, just, just be in the moment. I'm doing something for you. So it has this motivational purpose to call us on, to fill us with passion and fervor and desire. It's for the future. It's, it's for the lost. And it's for his people right 
now. And so listen, individually, as a family, one of the things God's saying to us this morning is, would you just stop being in such a hurry to get to the next moment? Linger for a little bit. Listen for a little bit. Just try to discern what it is that God is teaching you because there is something so good and so rich and so powerful. And if you're just desperate to get to the next moment, you're gonna miss it and not be prepared for the next moment. Just be all in right now. And you're gonna have a monument. And the future is gonna rejoice and the lost are gonna be saved and the people of God are gonna be encouraged. Why? Because of what God has done in this moment in your life. Personally, for your own life, there's so much to be gained here and learned here as God is just kind of looking at you and saying, hey, trust me, I've got this. Just pause for a minute and hear what I'm saying. But as a church, the same thing is, is going on. God intends for that building back there to be a monument to us. That building is for the future. That building is for the lost. And that building is for us now. Let me tell you why I believe that's true. I think it'll be deeply encouraging to you as we kind of understand that, listen, we're, we're not just, we're not just, we didn't just build a building. There's more to it than that. First of all, that building is, is for the future. <laughs> it has a memorial purpose. It is so that the future might know where we came from and what it is that God did. Right here, I have a book from 1912. It is almost falling apart. This is a book in which if you open up to the middle, in which I will in just a moment, it has the handwriting from October 13th, 1912, the day this church was constituted. Everything handwritten. So this is the ledger of uh, why the church was started and the purpose, the mission, uh, the covenant that was signed. And then it has handwritten the list of 138 people who joined the church that day. Now, listen to the way that it starts. It says this. For some time, the organization of a new Baptist church in Athens has been under prayerful consideration. The movement was headed by a number of earnest laymen who, without antagonism to the first Baptist church of Athens felt sorely the need of another church, listen, for aggressive work, assisting in gathering the increasing number of Baptists moving to Athens, as well as the large number of the unsaved. It started with a burden. It started with a desire to see the, lie, the lost saved. And then here's what happened. As a result of that, in the middle of September, these laymen bought a tent and they put it right in the middle of, of downtown and Darty and Pulaski, right where First Christian Church is. They bought a tent, they put it up, and they said, well, let's just see what God does. And they hired an evangelist from Spartanburg, South Carolina, who preached every night for three weeks. And you know what happened? People got saved. <laughs> At the end of the three weeks, it was October 6th, 1912. They thought, man, we got all these people here. What should we do? And they thought, well, let's, let's start a church. And the next Sunday, October 13th, 1912, they constituted and wrote the name of 110 people who left the First Baptist Church of Athens to go down the street to start a new work. And they left three other churches to come and to start a new work. And listen to what it says that is recorded here. 
as they talked about what happened even a year after this church was started, it says this, this is a quote. The membership of the church more than doubled the first year. The spirit of evangelism characterized the life of the church. The sacrifice of the people was real and genuine and the church was noted for its faith and prayer and sacrifice and fellowship. I can't tell you how many pages record because after that Sunday, they record what happened in every Sunday morning and every Sunday night service for the next year. And you know what they say? They say, we met this morning, the word was preached and the presence of God was felt. All because a group of visionary laymen decided that we need to reach more people with the gospel. And so listen, when you walk through the tabernacle tonight, if you'll come, what you'll notice is that we have taken pages from this and photocopied them and from other documents and we've put them along the walls, not because we're sentimental and not because we love history, but because we need the next generation to be reminded that from day one, this church has been a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, missionary-sending, Bible-preaching, evangelistically aggressive, faith-filled, praying, sacrificing, spirit-filled church of God. And the next generation needs to walk in there and see exactly why this church exists. Because let me tell you something, it only takes one generation to go the opposite direction and everything that's built is lost. So in a couple of weeks, we have the mix in there where hundreds of high school and middle school students will come and they're gonna be wondering why we decorated with old documents and we're gonna say it's a monument because you need to remember what it is that God has done because now it's gonna be passed to you, be faithful. Walk with Jesus. Don't mess up 109 years of faithful gospel preaching and evangelistic service. <laughs> it points to the future. It is a reminder of what it is that God has done. But listen, it's also, it's also for the lost. It has a missionary purpose. It says that all people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. You know, one of the little bits of advice that I give new pastors when they go to a church, and this just comes out of a lot of failures, and thankfully, uh, a large amount of those failures were at my first church, and uh, I came here knowing a tad bit more, which is, uh, sorry for them, a benefit to you, but, uh, you know, one of the things as a new pastor, you have a tendency to walk in day one and think about everything that needs to be fixed, all the things that's wrong. You know, one of the things I tell guys all the time, why don't you just, why don't you just be there for a while and be around the people and see, see what's good. See, see what God's doing. See, see what's unique about that church. Because listen, I'll tell you, every church has got something that's unique to them. And so as I got to know people and talked and prayed and met with people the first year I was here, uh, there was tons of things. The generosity of the church, the mission-mindedness of the church, so many things invested to us by the nine, pa uh, nine pastors that came before me, and particularly by the 43 years of faithfulness by Brother Bill, all of these things invested. But the number one thing that struck me is how much Prince felt uniquely like a family. And those who would join and give themselves to it would be embraced and would be loved. This was a unique thing. And I begin to, to come to Wednesday night meals and think, no one, no one has Wednesday night supper anymore. Like, it's just like, you had to go to a small town to find a Wednesday night dinner. But here's the deal. We'd have it in that foyer, 350 people would come to eat together. And we'd need them to get up and move because 50 people were still in line. But they didn't want to move because they had come not for the food, but because they wanted to be together. That was unbelievable. And I began to think, why in the, what is this? 
And I thought, well, it's, they just love being together. There's, there's a family here. There's something unique here. And, and then, Lord, how do I just not mess that up? I remember having a conversation with um, a good friend, Kevin Hines, and he said, Pastor, let me tell you something what we need to be doing. We need to be eating lunch after church together. I said, well, like, go to a restaurant? No, like sack lunch, potluck, every Sunday, somewhere. We gotta find a place to do it. And I thought, actually, I didn't wanna say this to him, but that's a, that was a decent idea. Like, what if we all brought some, some lunch together and instead of rushing off, we just went someplace and just ate and we're together and spent a couple of hours fellowshipping together and I began to think about all of these things and then the Lord reminded me that Jesus, the night before he's betrayed, listen, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, gathered his disciples in an upper room and said this, the greatest testimony that you will ever have to a lost world is the genuineness of your love for one another. So these don't conflict your love for one another, your relationship in this church, what God is doing in here is the greatest testimony to a lost and dying world. And in a generation when there's more dysfunctional homes than functional homes, there has never been a time in which the church needed to be the family more than right now. So we say God has given us a place where we can fellowship and break bread together and enjoy one another so that we can be an authentic witness to what it is that God is able to do as his people walk with him. So we had an idea and uh, we began to think about it a little bit more and then we, we needed a name for this building. I was up early one morning and I, I actually read through my journals uh, to see this and I, I came to Exodus 35 and and God just stirred my heart when God had told the people to build this tabernacle, a place in which the spirit of God would dwell. And it was essential because this is always the paradigm of scripture. It's Acts 1 and 2. The people get filled with the presence of God. They love God. They're excited about God. The purpose of this this morning. Then filled with the spirit, they're launched out into service. But you can't skip the need for the presence of God. And so, man, these people were just enjoying God's presence. The spirit of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And I began to read about how this vision was cast. And everybody began to pitch in and, and contribute. And man, just what an incredible moment. And then I remembered that as I first began to read the history of Prince, that a week after they constituted the church, it's recorded right here, they got together in the room and decided we needed a name for the church. And because they had spent their first three weeks in a tent and were going to spend, it looked like, the next foreseeable future in a tent, and because they had experienced so much of the presence of God, they thought, let's name it the Athens Baptist Tabernacle. It's the first name of Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And so even the look of that building over there is pointing us back to the fact that we started in a tent and we long for the presence of God to be felt. We want to be sent out on mission because God is wanting to fill us with himself, make us a loving, united family so that the lost may know. So not only the things on the wall, but the shape of the building is, is there for a missionary purpose. God wants to cultivate something in us that is a powerful testimony. Last of all, it not only points us to the future and to the lost, it points us to the present right now. That you may fear the Lord, your God, forever. That building exists to remind us of the power and ability of God, the work there is to be to do, uh, there is to do. It is, it is really there. So when we walk in every time, we think, oh God, I want to be faithful. God, I, I don't, I don't want to be the one who drops the baton. God, I, I want to keep walking and I want to keep trusting. 
I really pray that every time someone walks in that building, we think, God, you've been so faithful to us. Let's keep going. Let's do more. Let's, let's accomplish more for the kingdom of God. So we had an idea. We had a name. Now we just needed money. Just kind of taking you back a couple of years ago as we begin to think about this. Money, you know, that one thing that we were going to need. And there were a lot of things we needed. The church was growing. We needed new parking. We needed new signage. Uh, we needed to purchase some land on the corner right there, which we sign on next week, Lord willing. Uh, all of these things we needed. And uh, so we begin to put together a budget. What's this going to look like? And uh, we had a certain amount in our building fund already. We needed $775,000. I thought, well, how are we going to do that? So I get the deacons together. I say, guys, I don't know this church. I need your advice here. What, what, what should I do? We need $775,000. And in just the most profound way, here's what they said. Well, ask for it. Well, thanks. I, I thought that. I had that idea. I was hoping you had something a little bit better than that. Listen to me. I will never forget as long as I live, I'll never forget Mary and Ivy. Mary and I love you so much. I'd, Mary and Ivy in that deacons meeting going, well, why don't you ask for a million? Well, because I'm the one asking like that. And he said, well, don't you need more than that? I said, well, yeah, I really think like that's just bare minimum. Ask him for a million. I said, what do you guys think? All of them go, ask, just ask for a million. <laughs> and they're all going back home and I'm going to think about how I'm gonna ask for a million dollars. So here's what we did. We had a little five-week uh, offering, no campaign. So let me tell you a little secret about church fundraising. The way you raise a bunch of money is that you have it all raised before you ask the church. So you go to a bunch of people in the church and you get all of them to have commitments. That's usually how it happens. We didn't want to do that. So I came to the church on a Sunday morning. I cast the vision. I said, five weeks, we're going to take an offering and uh, we need a million dollars in five weeks. No secret meetings, no campaigns. Didn't ask anybody for anything. This is what we're going to do. And here was the caveat. I told the church I was going to choose not to know how much money came in. Two reasons. Number one is that I didn't want to beg. Like if we were four weeks in and had $100,000, I didn't want to get up and beg. And second of all, if we were over a million, I didn't want to tell you to stop. So we just, you know, <laughs> I just thought I'm going to choose to not know. And literally, the first time I knew how much money came in is at the end of the fifth Sunday, someone handed me an envelope after we had sung a little bit extra because they went to count. And at that moment was the first moment I knew how much had come in. And uh, here's that moment. What we've got, I've got as my witness, I have no idea what's in here. I promise you, I haven't seen anything. He didn't even give me eyes like any, I got nothing. You also did tell me to say that based upon gifts that have come in online and with the offering, we, there's more, there could be more coming. We don't know this, don't, this is a final count. You ready for this? $12,000. No, I'm just kidding. $1,622,000. Amen. I want to read this one more time for us. We started with it. I want us to read it again as we leave today. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. 
For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you and praise your glorious name. Listen, what this is intended to do is to remind us as a church, God can do this. This is just, listen to me, this is just the beginning. God is reminding us through our budget giving, through this, that God is able to do more than we imagine. So let's start asking and let's start attempting great things for him. Amen. This is just the start. Amen. Amen. As I watched that clip this week, I was reminded how much I still believe that. That we're just getting started. 109 years later, our mission is still the same, to lead people to trust and follow Jesus here and around the world. Our message is still the same, Jesus Christ is the only hope for life and death. Our method is still the same, preach the gospel to everyone we come in contact with 109 years later, and I believe we are just getting started. I believe in your life, God is just getting started. In our church, we are just getting started. Turn to someone next to you and say, we're just getting started. Right now, do it. Say it again, we're just getting started. For your life and for this church, we're just getting started. And here's the reason. is because the God that was faithful then is faithful now. And he's leading us into greater things. And everything he's doing right now is just a constant reminder of God saying, I'm able to do this. Just ask and attempt. So church, let's not be the generation that lets it go. Let's be faithful to what God has called us to do. Let's take what has been entrusted to us and do more with it than we ever thought was possible for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's rejoice in Jesus Christ this morning. And let's stand this morning as we sing and as we rejoice in the faithfulness and goodness of our God and celebrate what he's doing and is going to continue. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.